The rise of generative AI technology in newsrooms across the country is raising questions regarding the future of the Australian journalism industry. So how are news outlets adapting? And should aspiring journalists feel wary or optimistic when it comes to AI? The Wire's Tony Pankaluik spoke with Dr Anne Kruger, lecturer in journalism and strategic communications at the University of Queensland, to find out more about the use of AI in Australian newsrooms. How is the overall Australian journalism industry faring due to these new AI technologies? And how are news companies adjusting or responding? I think definitely AI has been in the view of the newsrooms and the editors for a number of years. And they've actually been using a lot of automated tools in the past anyway. But as, of course, we know in the last year, things have really ramped up and there's a lot of concern, in particular about generative AI and what potential that that's going to mean. I think a lot of editors in Australia are wanting to embrace this because I just think that if you don't, you're going to get left behind. And it's something that you can't ignore because it's here, it's happening already. So I think at the moment, the way that we're situated is that there's a lot of trialling going on, a lot of testing, a lot of in-house work that's happening, but cautiously optimistic about things as well. And there's a little bit of a wait and see as well when it comes to making use of the tools. I guess my concern and a lot of the concerns of editors is what's going to happen. Are we going to have a, a bit of a misinformation apocalypse type? of scenario happening and it's not only just a matter of what tools do we have but also what kind of AI literacy do the journalists have as well that are using it and of course their audiences that are then receiving the information. There's a lot more to be done but yet at the same time it's already here and can't be ignored. With regarding journalism so you know we got different types whether it be TV, online, radio, print. I know you mentioned for years in Australia They've been using certain automated technologies. For example, television, you got the teleprompter and all those sorts of technologies. But just with these new generative AIs, if you could explore some of the differences, say, with radio or print or TV or online or whichever ones, what are they doing? Are they using similar technologies or different? I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. So you start with things looking at non-generative AI. So you can look at text analysis and that text analysis will look at and recognize different characters and there's some great tools even audio transcription and I know certainly in the world of fact-checking there's a organization overseas in the UK called Full Fact and they are beta testing these sorts of tools to help fact-checkers it'll not only transcribe videos and audio but it'll actually try to pick out certain points from there that the journalist might want to look into later like you know some claims or something so it saves the journalist time that they can actually find and discover what's potentially problematic and what do they then need to go and investigate further so it's saving them time wading through transcripts and things like that there's a lot that's around and it's being developed I mean we've always had web and social media scrapers that are helping journalists as well so when you ask about generative AI now this I think is where a lot of editors are proceeding with caution so you've got tools that can help I mean you could use generative AI, for example, to help look 
summaries. There's a bit of experimenting going on at the moment with Australian newsrooms where they might use it to give them some topic ideas, to even produce pretty great podcast titles or headlines and things like that. But they're just experimenting with that sort of thing, generating some ideas, but not actually generating, although it's possible, but not actually generating the editorial content with a lot of the experiments that we're seeing per se. Now, having said that, it can still be used, though, for putting together things like traffic reports and weather reports, and that can be done really easily online. Finance information, that sort of thing as well. And we need to be clear that most Australian newsrooms and the different surveys that I've read and editors and journalists that I speak with, when it comes to deploying generative AI to write their news articles, that's something they're proceeding with caution. Like, you just cannot do this without human oversight, and in particular in this early phase, and we've seen the issue that we have with generative AI. Yeah, it could do it. It's potentially there. And the other thing too is with video, you can have avatars. I know overseas in China and a few other places overseas, they are actually already deploying in television these avatars of newsreaders. You can change what you've recorded on audio and on video. You can be presenting this. The technology exists where you can have your presentation in your first language and then with a few clicks and use of the technology, it can be translated translated into various different languages and it looks really slick. It looks really, really thick now. Whereas even a year or so ago, you would see sort of blips or blurs and things like that, but it's starting to get really convincing, shall we say. Well, obviously, we're doing a radio interview. Do you know in particular with radio, if there's any sorts of unique AI that are perhaps coming in the horizon that you know of? I think is it's more, and what I've been looking at is more the production side, so the discovery. So you can finding information and finding that information for, say, presenters to use. Now, of course, things are computerised these days in radio, so there's already automated tasks happening there. Now, the issue I would say with radio, and in particular with audio, is just that concern. I mean, we've got audio that we can generate already. So we can generate, you can get clips of people's voices, you can say a voiceover artist and the technology is so good that as long as you've got enough content, say of your voice or of my voice, you know, this is going to be a reasonably long interview. So you could actually get that technology and put our words together and actually make up a few words as well because there's those patterns there that the technology can actually already identify and pull together. And so there's a lot of ethical issues there as well. It's like, well, do you have my permission to do that? Are you getting paid still when if your voice is being used? So that technology is already around and already exists. In particular with Australia, I want to ask you the differences between the regional media organisations and the metro capital city organisations with news. Is there really a difference in the penetration of AI or is it pretty much the same across the board because communication, everything's all globalised, technology just reaches out really quickly. So I just want to know if there is like a contrast in the Australian regional media organisations like the small country newspaper organisations or radio versus big organisations in Sydney, Melbourne, etc. Yeah, I think definitely your larger organisations have the advantage here because they are larger institutions. They just have that critical mass, I suppose, of funds and technology. And then I'm not meaning that there's a lot of money going around at all for anyone, but there is that critical mass there where they are used to changing with 
the times and always keeping up with technology and they might have their in-house teams that are experimenting with that and that's very much what we're seeing so they can take the time to experiment and you've got organisations like The Guardian, the ABC, Sydney Morning Herald, they have their teams that are cautiously, carefully looking and experimenting with what can box do, what can generate information but it's still very much in that experimental mode and not necessarily, you know, as I said, not for editorial purposes and that's where I think for this smaller regional rural outlet definitely that's where they're at a disadvantage in that you know you would still be looking at what tools are there that are free to use and they don't have that larger institution necessarily to rely on to help develop this. Having said that there is ACM, Australian Community Media which does have a nationwide reach. might have Canberra Times and you know the small regional post as well. So there is a benefit for their newspapers and online papers and I know that their heads of education and curriculum development person there called Saffron Howden who is actually a media literacy specialist and she's been looking a lot at what are the developments and how can we potentially use these throughout their networks and then of course you've got the ABC it's got its regional reach as well and that can benefit from what is going on with their development from headquarters I suppose there's also the SDA Osterio network as well I know that they're looking in doing um, experiments and looking here too and this is where I'm really thinking more in terms of looking at the generative AI you know what's coming and experimenting there and keeping that very much in the cautious experiment stage so if you're talking about smaller local newsrooms I would say would be at a disadvantage in terms of financially and having the time because everything as we know is just uh, and with journalism it's very much labour intensive work if you want to actually get the stories that are using the primary sources so there's definitely a disadvantage there however they might also argue that well we're more nimble you know we don't have to wait for headquarters to give us permission on things too so they can be experimenting that way but I think regardless of where you're at I think the thing that we need to think about is well what is the audience seeing here so if someone has been experimenting with this how do I know how do I know that the report's been put together by a computer or if it's generative AI that has put this together and and does that make a difference? And I think in terms of trust for our newsrooms, we really want that signalling. We want to see, well, what has actually had those human eyes over it and have put it together? And even if it's a matter of, okay, something's used generative AI to put together a summary or titles and things, this is where we're moving into now that audiences need to know what's been done by the computer, what's been done by the people. And as long as there's some acknowledgement there that you know, there might be a summary that has been put together by generative AI. I think you still always need to have humans have their eyes over it before it goes into print or before it becomes text or a script for a presenter to read that thing as well. And that's something that's, I think, crucial. You mentioned The Guardian, and we've got other major news organisations such as the likes of News Corp, Fairfax, or Seven West Media. So just with News Corp, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they cut a lot of jobs recently due to AI and they may be conducting in-house testing with these types of technologies. And also, are these major corporations worried about AI due to potential strikes from workers or embracing the change as it leads to cost-cutting and saving money? I think editors are very aware of the fact that they don't want AI to replace journalism jobs where possible. The focus 
is very much on speeding up the workflows. I think there's just enough recognition that you still need the humans to do the real editorial work. You know, finance reporting and all that for years have been using automated systems to give the the latest data, the latest statistics, that sort of thing. But when you talk about job losses in Australia, I mean, I think this has obviously been going on for a number of years and it's not necessarily because of the AI coming in on the scene. We've obviously had business models for for a number of years now and, of course, there was the Australian News Media Bargaining Co that went through all of that and dealt with that. So I think same with experiments. And just to be clear, with News Corp, I don't have and I don't know, that. like I think initially they had said that they were looking at generating stories that you know, might generate for the weather, reports or traffic, but they've since pulled back a bit on that and they haven't confirmed necessarily that that's what they're doing. And I think that's because a lot of these organisations are still very much in the experimental phase. But you know, you're right to be concerned what this is going to mean for jobs and journalists. But I would just counter that with this actually shows that now more than ever we need journalists, we need strategic communicators who can actually tell what is fact from fiction because I can tell you the onslaught that we're going to have and that we are having already when it comes to misinformation is only going to get easier and cheaper for those that want to spread misinformation and disinformation. And you look at different research and then you look at the figures that are out there and the amount of content that people are going to be looking at that has been computer generated in years to come is going to be obviously the vast majority. And so that is my concerns. Well, what sort of digital information literacy do we have, do audiences have? I would like to think that this is actually going to be an opportunity for journalists and for communication professionals to do their thing and to say, well, this is actually what I have found. These are my time resources. This is the information. Here's where you go to get quality information rather than just looking at everything that you flick past on your mobile phone screen and that sort of thing. So I think the jobs of journalists and presenters are going to be crucial all the more than what they are now. How should journalists now and in the future be best prepared in dealing with misinformation and misuse of AI? And also I'm curious to know, where do they mainly stem from? Is it so-called conspiracy sites, rogue individuals on social media, or certain organisations with an agenda? Oh, all of the above. I mean, Australia's been responsible for a lot of hoax videos for years, like dating back to 2014. There was a production company that trialled new video production techniques and they were distributing videos of, you know, like a man jumping off a cliff and swimming face-to-face with a shark. And it wasn't real, but, you know, there's tens of millions of views on these sorts of things. So there's been these experiments around for years. And then when it comes to, though, looking at where is the information coming from, where is the misinformation coming from, the thing is that someone can pick up on a post and things can be shared really quickly and easily within you know, private messages and things like that and then all of a sudden that misinformation has been given new life so sometimes it's just by mistake as well but absolutely you do have different organisations and groups with agendas there's different ideologies and they want to push their ideologies for their own agendas, different conspiracy theorists as well. A lot of people will sort of join that because there's a lot of reasons. It can be because online we all want to belong to something you know, we want to feel like we've got a tribe and someone who might be feeling a bit disaffected with the world and governments and things might start to read some narratives and they go oh yeah I like that so there's sort of an entry point and then they might start to keep going down the 
rabbit hole down the rabbit hole from that initial, well, just trying to look for and being curious and interested in information. And a lot of times people are doing it, organisations are doing it because they just want to make money. The amount of scams that we're seeing, and as everyone knows, you know, Australia is just so vulnerable to these scams at the moment. But I've seen scams late last year, you know, cryptocurrency types of scams that took it to the next level. They were using actual news, so like mainstream commercial TV presenters who were presenting their piece to camera or, you know, in the studios, presenting their information. Yet there was audio that was played over their words. And at the end of the day, it was a crypto scam currency type of thing. We can see this with some mining magnates and famous people and that sort of thing. But that was quite worrying. I saw that late last year and that's using what we think are presenters. But it gets picked up and it gets turned around and put on social media so I think as long as we can develop a critical thinking a common sense awareness that you know, if this message sounds a bit too good to be true, yeah, probably not legit. <laughs> I've seen on Facebook, it's an AI image, it's obviously Photoshop it looks a bit dodgy but you see David Koch getting arrested by police but it's obviously a scam website but they're using AI to make it as though he's done something bad financially yep. like, and I know there's all sorts of it but yeah that's it's in my mind at the moment yeah he's a bit of a favorite yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually at the point now where I'll see something with his image and I immediately think oh that's probably a scam and actually now I'm thinking oh I've got to actually look at this it might actually be some real news <laughs> about him so yeah but that's, this is going to train ourselves to be certainly sceptical but not too cynical if possible but it's important to be aware. Speaking of aware are organisations or unions out to protect journalists and all and that's MEAA or other stakeholders have they been taking any action against AI companies to protect the industry or try to influence the government to usher in legislation to try manage it and maintain or try to perhaps organize maybe some kind of partnership with AI companies to maybe regulate implementation so there's a steady transition in future. Has there been anything of that sort happened in the past? That's a great suggestion. I love that. So what happened was last year the Australian government did have a number of roundtables and called for responses to safe and responsible AI. So there are a number of consultations. I was in on one of the roundtables with the communications minister and then the Australian public were invited to give their consultations and I think there are over 500 submissions that had been received. And then earlier this year, the government did release its interim response. So there's the interim response to safe and responsible AI and this is up on their website. But basically, from what I got out of that is still early days and from then they set up an expert advisory panel as well, people in the industry, to help advise the government on this. At the moment, it's a matter of looking at, well, what regulations do we currently have? Where do they need to be strengthened? That sort of thing. So there's still some way to go when it comes to what we need to do with regards to fine-tuning, I think, the regulation, the protection, as you say. And there's also, if you look at the Australian Misinformation and Disinformation Regulatory Code of Practice, now, that was written up for the platforms to opt in. And it's a voluntary code at the moment, but the government has been looking to tighten that up and bring in stronger legislation. Again, okay, disinformation, disinformation. Now, this is for the platforms, for them to say, look, we're going to try and do this and we're going to try and do more. Now, it's really interesting because in that regulatory code, there is language to do with what we call provenance. So that is, well, where do we get to the original piece of information? So how do we know that you know, what we're looking at is legit? 
or how do we know the quality of it? And there is written in the regulatory code some objectives there for the platform companies who work with the stakeholders like researchers and the public and to help build up their general knowledge about this, their media literacy, their digital literacy in this area. So I do like your suggestion there where you know I think part of this new framework the advisory group should actually be considering quite strongly well what about journalists and professional communicators not only protecting their jobs but going further and saying we need them more than ever because these are the people who day to day day in day out are actually the ones that are verifying that are looking at the evidence and are piecing all of this together so I think you should put that submission forward <laughs> <laughs> If there's some young listener that will listen to this interview what advice would you give them if they wanted to just join the journalism industry or is there any toolkits they should learn just to enter this current age of journalism? Yeah, definitely brush up on your what we call OSINT techniques or open source investigative techniques and your verification. So learn things like, you know, how to do a reverse image search. If you see an image somewhere, don't just believe that it is what it says it is. Actually look for other instances of it on the web and see where else you've seen that. But definitely this is a time where we really want to encourage people to be aware of what is good quality journalism as well. And this is where we need not only journalists but professional communicators who are really seeking out what are the helpful bits of information for society so that you can make a informed decision about life. Where do you go? Who are the scientists? Where do you get the reliable information from? Rather than just looking through an endless scroll on your mobile phone feed, we actually need people who are dedicated and who are really purpose-driven and passionate about wanting to broadcast and wanting to distribute quality information to help sort of just make sense of the influx of information that we've got at the moment. And there are interesting initiatives happening at the moment as well. If you're more of a creator, there's something called the Content Authenticity Initiative, and that's a number of tech companies and NGOs that got together a few years ago that were really concerned about, well, we see that videos pop up whenever there's you know, a war or a clash or breaking news. We see videos pop up and sometimes we see that was actually a video from two years ago making it sound like it's today or we might see video from even computer games and things like that, war games, making it look like, oh, this is actually the current conflict. So what some of these initiatives that are being developed at the moment are really looking at, and companies like Adobe are really looking at what we call watermarking. So if you think about the metadata, you know, if you take a photo and you can see you know, the time and place where you were in that metadata when you took that photo. So there's a way using the tools for creators to actually put down their own watermark their signature and that can move with that image and with that video. So wherever it turns up, there's development so that you can actually trace it back to, well, who is the original person that created that? Or you compare it with the image that has the original metadata on it and compare what you're seeing today, what sort of metadata does it have or has it been wiped. So there are tools like that. So when I talk about verification and tech tools, if you're 
are interested in that, there's going to be more and more need for students to be willing to just embrace these sorts of tools and work with them and discover. A lot of it's still being developed, but a lot of it is actually there now for creators, artists and videographers who are trying to protect their work and their copyright as well. These are crucial tools for them. And there's actually some quite exciting technology to get into the tech side and also get into that real purpose-driven helping society make informed decision side. We need you more than ever. That was Dr Anne Kruger from UQ's School of Communication and Arts ending the report by The Wire's Tony Pankalewicz.